0: Welcome all truth truth seekers from across the globe. This is Reverend Karen Heasley from the Spiritual Path Church of Newcastle, Pennsylvania. Our True Seeker show covers a variety of subjects from angels to after death communication to parapsychology. We're happy you've chosen to join us for this episode and hope you find it informative and enjoyable. Today's guests are Dr. Nancy Zangroni and Dr. Carlos Alvarado. Nancy and Carlos both have PhDs in psychology from the University of Edinburgh. For over 30 years, they have been involved in the field of scientific parapsychology. The Parapsychology Foundation, and they worked at the University of Virginia. Their research has focused on questionnaire-based studies of reports of supposed psychic experiences. They have also examined the relationship of reporting psychic experiences with reporting other experiences such as lucid dreams, disturbing dreams, vivid dreams, and mystical experiences. They have published several papers together and separately. After our chat with our guests, we will be open for calls. And now I'd like to welcome Nancy and Carlos. Hi. Well,
1: hi, Karen. It's great to be here.
0: It's great to have you. Hi, Hello, Carlos. Hello, Mrs.
2: Carlos. How are hi, you? Hi,
0: Carlos. Nice to see you. I have a few <laughs> yeah. questions because I, I thought of some questions that our listeners uh, might So the first thing I want to ask you is define parapsychology.
2: Well, parapsychology is basically a field of science that studies what we call psychic phenomena. Some people call paranormal phenomena. Those are things such as extrasensory perception, out-of-body experiences, uh, poltergeist cases, uh, unexplained healings, mediumship, there are all kinds of different phenomena. What parapsychology does is to study them scientifically, just, just as other fields of science use the methods of science to study their phenomena, astronomy, chemistry, psychology. In parapsychology, we apply the scientific method to study all these phenomena, and it's, it's a very difficult field. Yeah,
0: I, I imagine it would be. Just collecting all the data, right?
2: Yes, you yes, just collecting all the information, you know, trying to make sense out of it. The, the phenomena are very elusive, you know, you cannot really control it in, in any way. Uh, and on top of it, you know, parapsychology is a very controversial field. There are many other scientists that do not think much of it and do not believe in the phenomena. Of course we we tend to think that a lot of those people are not very well informed and when they make their criticisms, but there there are good points that are also made. you know there are many things in method and approach that can be uh, criticized
0: hmm. And then is it hard to have statistics based on other statistics, you know when you're studying something?
2: Yeah, well, it's, it's, statistics can be used uh, in, in a lot of the studies, mainly studies in the laboratory when we conduct experiments. And also if we do surveys, say, with questionnaires, that uh, we ask a lot of people about their experiences and try to relate those experiences to age, to personality variables and other things. That all can be quantified and uh, and analyze in the same way that stats are used in in other fields of science. The The thing is, it's not all stats. You know, stats is basically a technique that allows us to summarize data, to assess uh, the issue of chance. You know, if you are guessing something uh, and you are correct, well, the, the first critique is... is is this something that could have happened with chance? If you have a dream about the future, you ask, the first things that you ask is, well, it could have been coincidence that what you dream came to be true. So there there are ways to quantify some of those things to assess the role of chance. But not everything can be quantified, of course, and parapsychologists are also interested in the description of the experiences that people give to us and also in the meaning that the experience have for those persons.
0: Thank you, Carlos. And uh, some people might, might want to know, when was this field started?
2: Yeah. Well, the the field has been going on systematically since the 19th century. Before that, there were many isolated attempts to to study psychic phenomena, but it starts to be a systematic field of study in the 1880s where differ, different groups are created in Europe. A particularly important one is in 1882 in London, the Society for Psychical Research. And from that period, a lot of people from different disciplines, psychology, philosophy, physics, get together and they try to develop Uh, criteria and methods by which to study all of these phenomena, like ESP, uh, for example. And from then on, you know, there have been many other developments that have improved the methodology, but it it comes in a systematic way from the 19th century.
0: I remember, yeah, that's in um, the, was that in London uh, that it was started? That's what I thought. Yeah, that's,
2: yeah. that's the London the, the London Society for Psychical Research, which is still yes. active.
0: Yes, I know it is. Yeah, it is. Yes. Um, okay. So this is for both of you. What made you want to pursue a career in parapsychology? And before you answer that, I, I have to tell you an, uh, something that happened to me. Um, I had a near-death yeah. experience when I was five. So my parents wanted me to go to college and wanted me to go to college and I didn't know what I wanted to take. So my father said, I don't care what you take. You just have to go to college. So I started looking into parapsychology. So we were down, we were, we were eating at the, at the dinner table. And I said, I finally found something I want to do. And my father said, okay, what do you want to major? in? what do you want to take up? And I said, parapsychology. And he said, absolutely not. What are you going to do with that? so, (laughs) So I never did take it, but, I mean, I'm, I, I was always active in uh, paranormal. So so I, I'd like to know, what made you want to pursue a career in paranormal psychology? And that's for both of you now.
2: Yeah. Okay, well, I'll give you my answer, and then i pass you to Nancy. Okay, I, thank you. I, I, guess, I guess she'll have something similar. Well, I became interested when I was, you know, very young in my late teens, and uh I was basically a student of psychology and uh, the the problem that I had just just like like they told you they asked you what are you gonna do with it that was also my problem, you know the the field then and even today that you know there are very few jobs for you to work in parapsychology so if you decide to devote your life to the field you, you have that practical problem, you know, how how to get enough income to just to survive normally. And uh, basically what I did, I went more into psychology, got degrees in psychology, and continued doing that in my spare time, hoping that later on uh, I was going to be able to do it more full-time. I had a period in, in later years, mainly in the, in the 1980s when I was employed, and in university, full time in in the field, but not everyone has that opportunity. Uh, it's just that many of us, at least in my case, find the phenomenon, the field, really important and fascinating, It you know it presents you with a lot of questions and possibilities about the nature of the mind, and when you realize that. Very few people are devoted to this field. That gave me kind of more energy and interest in getting into it. And I started educating uh, myself and slowly learning, you know, um, about the the field and the like. But it's just, it was just a very personal interest. It was not derived from any personal psychic experience that I had. I talked with a lot of people with experiences, and, and I felt, you know, that, that they had very important uh, phenomena in their lives, but that was not my motivation to study it. I, I, I guess I, I was just fascinated with the whole idea of approaching the thing scientifically and trying to make sense uh, out of it. Let, let me pass you to Nancy and see what. Okay, she says. thank you, Carlos. So, so uh, how how I got
0: started in the field is that the yeah. question? Yeah. Um, well, what,
1: what, uh, yeah, what? Go ahead.
0: No, I just wanted to say what made you want to pursue a career because that's it's it's like out of the box career.
1: Oh boy, it sure is. Um I well I I was, I started uh, getting really interested in the field in, in when I was a teenager because I had a good friend who um, had a lot of experiences? She saw apparitions and things like that. And we had—I grew in a very small town, grew up in a very small town in uh, Illinois. And the library had all of the books by the Rhines, which is just amazing. Somebody there in the 1950s and 60s must have had a real interest because you don't find that in a you know in a library in a town of
0: no, seven. you don't, no, you yeah. don't.
1: Mm-mm. So I read everything, and it it was very uh, sort of unfeminist of me because I read um, uh, books about the Rhines, about J.B. Rhine and Louisa Rhine, and I thought, wow, this is fantastic. You could get married and have children and do this job for the rest of your life. (laughs) So I I kind of got interested in it then, and then I, uh, as I got older, um, you know, the realities of of how many jobs there were and all that kind of thing, and I took some courses in my Mm -hmm. undergraduate program, and But I wasn't really able to go to the summer study program at the Rhine or anything like that. And then finally, in the early 80s, I had that opportunity, and I moved to North Carolina and was a research fellow at the Rhine. Then it was called the Institute for Parapsychology. For about four years, and got sent to a um, sent to a conference in Charlottesville. While Carlos was working for Dr. Stevenson at the Division of Then Parapsychology, now it's Perceptual Studies, and met him, and and we just uh, started to do research together, and the relationship kind of started around that. And um, uh, then we, you know, then we were trying to think of what we would do that would be would be a little more steady than parapsychology because even though we had full-time jobs in the field, I was full-time at the Rhine and he was full-time at at UVA, we knew that there were very, very, very few opportunities. So we, for a while we were studying history of science thinking that maybe we would teach that and then um we just had this opportunity to go to the University of Edinburgh and study with Professor Bob Morris who had been Carlos's professor when he took his masters in parapsychology in California and by that time we were you know we were married and we knew we weren't going to be able to have kids and all that stuff and we felt well we're just going to we're just going to pursue this because it's it's something that we can do and we didn't always get to do it full time i mean We were full-time at the foundation after we got our PhDs for a while, and then we were part-time there and we were part-time at UVA and um, all that kind of stuff. So we always had like a little consulting business on the side, or I I did a lot of publications work for other people in parapsychology. And it worked really well, basically, that we were able to – stay in the field and get enough paid work that we could keep the household going. And the household wasn't very big. It was just the two of us and a couple of cats. So we were able to do that. And we actually chose, I started out in experimental work and Dr. Stevenson had Carlos doing near-death experience interviews and that kind of thing, which required travel. And we actually decided to do survey research because it was less expensive. You could uh, print a bunch of questionnaires, take it to a, a class you were teaching and get data out of it, or you could interview people that were around you. And then once the Internet started, you could do Internet research as well. A few times we got some big grants and we were able to do um, random surveys. While we at University of Virginia, we did two of them, thanks to a foundation in Portugal. Um, but in general, we were finding whatever any, job we could find that would either allow us the time to work in parapsychology, and/or what had as part of its, you know, part of its remit, working in parapsychology. So we've managed to, we've managed to keep it up all this time, and we're still working at it too. So we we figure we're pretty lucky.
0: You're extremely lucky, but you're also doing something from the heart that's benefiting yeah. people. You are, yeah. Both you and Corey. Yeah, no, we that's... we
1: feel that way very much.
0: Yeah. Both of you. I have to applaud both of you for the work you have done in parapsychology. It's just extraordinary. It really oh, is, and I have to applaud you for that, seriously. I, you, oh, you two are you. Like, like heroes to me. You know, you actually <laughs> went into parapsychology.
1: <laughs> well, um, and, and but, it, not without trepidation, too, in moments when we thought we were going to have to do something else, and you because know, it's tough to stay in the field that's so mm-hmm. underdeveloped, especially in the United States. Um, there used to be a lot more opportunities back in the 50s and 60s and uh, early 70s than there are now, so it's it's been interesting, but but it's been wonderful. I mean, we've never had to sort of let go of it, and one of the things we've really enjoyed from the 80s forward almost a year after we met each other was the parapsychology foundation um, was always really supportive of us they invited carlos when he was still in his 20s to give a talk about out-of-body experience at a conference in new orleans and later on when we were first married we went to ireland so i could give a talk and you know so they were always kind of watching and seeing what was going on and we got small grants from them and so on and then started working consulting with them in 98 and were full time at different points and are now back with the foundation. So we've been really lucky that we had such a good relationship with um um Mrs. Coley and Lisa Coley and, and just the whole way the foundation was working and then very lucky to have been connected to the University of Virginia and to the Rhine as well. So we just we've just had a lot of luck as well. So it's been good.
0: Um, thank you. And we um Eileen Garrett you want to talk a little bit about her um what was she sure. started that please
1: Thank Yeah you. um she uh she was uh, as you know she was a, a medium she was trained in in um a tra- mainly a trance medium by choice training. because I think yes. she might have been able to be a physical medium when she was early in her training but she was trained I think was at the College of Psychic Sciences in London by James McKenzie yeah
0: Okay. The, the
1: encyclopedia is sitting in the other chair. Yeah, I'm <laughs> so not
0: sure either. Text. I don't want to qualm I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, he said it was Hewitt McKenzie, and that's who trained her. And um, in that era, which would have been uh, right after the First World War, the emphasis there was on mental mediumship, so any kind of physical ability was sort of set to the side. And they not only trained her, but trained her, her controls as well to have these very informative kinds of interactions with the sitters who came in. Um, and from from there, when uh, so she was came coming over to the U.S. met met uh, the, her prime donor, uh, Representative Francis Bolton, who was a congresswoman from Ohio when she first came over to the states in the twenties and the thirties, and and then in World War II she was actually in France because they um, she had property in France and she was caught there when the war started and had to kind of find her way out of France. She managed to get to um Spain and then to Portugal and and through uh Congresswoman Bolton was was able to get to New York City in 1941. Her daughter, Eileen Coley, who ended up running the foundation after Mrs. Garrett passed away, she was left in London and was working in a war factory and all that a young woman on her own and met a French flyer cause, uh, uh, who was Lisa Coley's dad, uh, um, Robert Coley, who also was on the foundation's um, staff for many, many years. So while Liz, when um, Eileen came to New York City, she was doing psychic stuff, but she didn't like to do it for her profession. She didn't like to do it for money. It was something that she did, definitely, and she you knew people could you know help her out if she needed helping out. But in general, what she liked to do is have a, work in addition so she ran a a a small book publishing company called creative age press and they had a magazine called tomorrow magazine and then she started having these dreams about how it was important to set up a research center so they in 1951 she and francis bolton founded the parapsychology foundation in new york and um, eileen had sold her her publishing house and that was part of the money and then the rest of it came from mrs b And they set it up with the idea that they would provide funding for uh, scientists and scholars who were doing work that had anything to do with psychic mediumship or telepathy or anything parapsychological from an academic or a scholarly point of view. And they had a very wide idea of, of what that meant. So people from all, you know, anthropologists and philosophers and psychologists and so on received funding. They also had a little laboratory for a while, and um, uh, the dream laboratory that everybody remembers from Maimonides hospital in Brooklyn. Actually, had it start at the Parapsychology Foundation. She had all kinds of connections among wealthy people and people in the media and the arts and all that kind of stuff who helped helped um, and made kind of the context out of which the the foundation grew. And when Mrs. Coley and her husband were able to come from the UK after the Second World War, Mrs. Coley started to work at the foundation as her mother's secretary. Then it more of her her, her um her ideas and all that kind of stuff had an impact on how it went forward and she worked for her mom for many years and then Eileen Garrett died in nineteen seventy. And at that point, Robert Coley and Eileen Coley, principally Eileen Coley, took over the foundation. And she actually ran it for – her mother only ran it for 19 years before she passed. And Mrs. Coley ran the foundation for about 31 or 34 years before she retired. So since the um, – about the middle of the 2000s, Lisa Coley's been the president. And she's the granddaughter of Eileen J. Garrett. And now her daughter, Anna Demolis is um, – of the administrative assistant at the foundation. So there's, and then her son George uh, Demolis is on the board. So it's actually four generations coming from Eileen Garrett um, down to the present day that have uh, kept that the place going and providing uh, funding for researchers and students and building up this amazing library and keeping the writing and the works of Eileen Garrett. Up, you know, present in people's minds because um, Mrs. Garrett was very, very introspective about her mediumship and how it occurred, how, where it came from, how it worked, and all that kind of thing, and very supportive of research with mediums as well. So they've kept that. Uh, um, that legacy going and you can see it now in the parapsychology foundation website parapsychology.org lisette's been doing a blog um every few weeks she'll do an episode of a blog and she'll frequently will take uh, information out of one of her grandmother's books and then talk about it you know what it means to her and the foundation and then give you the part of the you know the writing that her grandmother did so that she can also read it too and then all those all oh, that wonderful film that's coming out on the Parapsychology Foundation YouTube channel is from years and years of lectures and interviews and conferences. There's just so much more in the vault that we're bringing out slowly. Um, uh, so it, it's still vibrant, and I feel it's still uh, fulfilling the mission that Eileen Garrett had for it back in 1951. So it's a very exciting place.
0: It, it, yeah, it is, and I don't know. Did you mention she was one of the uh, world's most tested mediums? She was. Yes, she was. Of, yeah, she didn't yeah. care if they tested her or not. She was. That's what she's known as.
1: But well, she you. was. She actually was very, very. Uh, thought that was a very important thing for mediums to do—to be willing and open to be tested. Um, Carlos, do you want to say something about the research that uh, Mrs. Garrett was involved in, and who?
2: Just a little bit, yes, well, Mrs. Garrett was studied by a lot of people in and outside parapsychology with the there was a psychologist called Ira Progoff, and he was a Jungian psychologist. He did a whole book about her, and it's basically he he was talking to the spirit controls of Mrs. Garrett. Okay. You know, the controls in a, in yeah. a medium are the, the spirits that come and kind of direct traffic like the masters of ceremonies right. and he basically analyzed the the controls psychologically conversed you know, talk with them at great length and uh, and try to to chart you know like make a map of the inner life of, of Garrett's uh, spirit control. So there was only one study. Over the years, there have been uh, many different ones. J.B. Ryan, in the 1930s, did a study with her in which he applied his famous ESP cards to to Mrs. Garrett to see if she could perform well. And she got good results, but not outstanding one. You know, they, they were not extremely high, but still they were good. And uh, mm-hmm. part of the reason was that Mrs. Garrett was used to much more exciting ways of testing than just guessing cars. And for a medium, you know, and for a lot of people, guessing cars is, is a very boring thing to do. It doesn't have much significance. She was better at, you know, having people face-to-face and telling them about about their lives and the... The relatives that that had died and so forth, and there were many other many many other studies over the years uh, that have been uh, done with her. More recently, there has been a resurgence, you know, in studies of mediumship, and uh, we don't seem to have, you know, mediums like Mrs. Garrett anymore. At least they don't seem to be available for research. They they probably are out there. But I always, you know, speculate on how nice it will be if we had today a Mrs. Garrett working full-time with uh, scientists doing all kinds of, of different tests.
0: Thank you, Carlos. Now, um, next question. Did you have any personal experiences?
2: In in there, I just have to say, no, no, I have never had really any personal experiences that have motivated me to be in the field. What I have found important are the experiences of others. I guess my case is is very similar to to the psychologist that works with people to try to help them with their problems. The psychologist necessarily may not have had big traumas in their life, but they take great interest in working with people with traumas, with other uh, problems, and and dealing with it. And I guess in, in my case, it has been like that. I have found the reading uh, and doing my own studies uh, very motivating. And uh, even through, so, also, I would like to have experiences. Uh, that's that's really not what has motivated me to be in the field. Having said that, I think, you know, personal experience is extremely important, and a lot of people that are in parapsychology have had many psychic experiences, from precognitive dreams to out-of-body experiences and, you know, many, many other things like that. Let me pass you to Nancy. Uh, thank, to thank you, that. Carlos. Personal
0: experience
1: personal experience i i haven't had so much but i've had occasional experiences and interesting i find it interesting that um some of them have to do with being in in experiments and having um you know getting a getting something correct that just didn't make just didn't seem to me that it could possibly be the target but it turned out to be that kind of thing but more when i was younger it was that there were stories in the family uh, um, my family is Irish, Italian, Austrian, and German. And the Irish and Italians in particular had experienced stories that they told. And then I had this friend who had, you know, apparitional experiences while we were all teenagers. So we, we trusted her greatly and believed her experiences. So that got me reading. And then it, from there it was... You know, reading all these books about other people's experiences and reading books by scientists who were reviewing the experiences, like um, Dr. Stevenson's work with with children who remember previous lives and how careful it was, and how a lot of the things that the kids would say were able to be verified, and and then getting into the the books from the Society for Psychical Research and so on. So, I've along my lifetime there have been small things here and there that that I personally feel were psychic but in in general it's mostly been this um i mean bruce grayson has said before that being a parapsychologist or doing research on these types of experiences is um you can't help but become a believer in a sense because there's you you hear things over and over again from people that are credible and reputable and are having similar types of experiences and then you look at the research at the same time and then things happen to yourself as well so it's like a mixture of of um just knowing that that uh, this is really out there this is really this is really something that needs to be explained and something that's meaningful and, and there's so many types of different types of experiences and so on so um it's kind of it's kind of been a mixture of the two as the years have gone on.
0: I'm sure. Uh, yes. Thank you. And now we want to talk about your um, you do an annual uh, parapsychology research and education course. You want to talk yes, a little bit yes. about that?
1: Yeah, we started it. Um, we started it in 2015. We had just gotten the job at the Parapsychology Foundation in. Um, basically what, what uh, Lisette said was, you know, I know I'm, I'm going to pay you from January and February, but um, you work on the course and then we'll work out the hours later on. And starting from 2016, now the course is part of our, our job. And what we've done is we've put together a free open online course um uh, that we use a social media teaching platform called WizIQ.com, and you have like a webinar system and places for the students to get together and talk and that kind of thing. And we, Carlos has, has uh, been the guy that's done the recruiting of the faculty members and what we do to, you know, there's some really good as you know, some really good adult education courses out there. Yes. But and, and you'd get maybe one uh, guest speaker for an eight-week course or a five-week course. Well, we decided what we wanted to do was have basically mostly guest speakers so that if you were in a six-week course, say, you might hear from Carlos and I and Lisette maybe three times or four times, but everything else was somebody who was actually conducting research. Um, of various kinds and in in a bunch of different a lang- uh, bunch of different countries. So we had people; they had to speak English for the course. But we had people from Brazil and France and Germany and um, Sweden and Iceland and all over the place. And Carls would try to put a course together. Um, I can, can have him talk to you about the f- the way he does does that, but one that would showcase not just the theory and not just experiments but also experiences and how research with experiences happen. And in our first course, we had over 1,000 students who signed up. About 300 of them were actually active throughout the course. Um, and uh, we gave out, I think it was 160-some certificates to people who saw more than 80% of the of the recordings or were at 80%, you know, or or the, you could see it come live, or you could see hear the recording. So if they had con- been in contact with one of our sessions 80% of the time, or did something extra like a um, a power a PowerPoint presentation or a YouTube video or something, they would get a certificate with distinction. The second year we had, uh, so the first year we had 23 guest speakers in six weeks, and we almost wow. died because it was a lot of work <laughs> and keeping yeah. up with the students. It was just a lot of work. So the second year we had 15 guest speakers over the same six weeks, which was lovely. Um, partly because we had the time with say with Jan Holden, for instance, who came. She's the editor of the Journal of Near Death Studies. She came to talk about near death exper- experiences.
0: Yeah, I and know Jan. So
1: yeah, so well loved that talk that the students just wouldn't go away. She was literally two and a half hours talking. And so they all decided that they wanted a second session, and we had the room for her to come back for the second session, and and she did literally another two-and-a-half hours on the same topic and then uh that class was also about 300 and pe- 300 people who were active. This year we've had 16 guest speakers. We're still what we do is we have um the six weeks of guest speakers and then our our individual lectures that Carlos and I do. And then on the last Sunday of every month until August. So we finish our live live classes in February. Until August, we meet the last Sunday of every month in the same frame just to talk about whatever we want to talk about. And there's usually a group of 10 to 15 to 20 people who stay with us for that for that thing through the rest of the course. And then we start the next one to start the next January. And those folks in each of those courses have – um, they help us shape the next one who are who is it that they would like to hear from and what topic did we miss out in the previous one and so on it's a it's a methodology that that I came into contact with when I was uh, learning to teach online back in 09 it's called a mooc m o o k and MOOC, or mooc sorry and mooc means massively open online course and by massively open you mean that anybody who wants to sign up can come so we actually have a webinar that will hold two thousand people although we've never gone over about 200 i think it's got to be free so it's free and um uh, the students are brought in internationally, the only thing, and the sp- speakers as well. The only thing, because we are who we are, um, is that people have to be able to understand English and speak English for the the classes. So some of our students have gone out, like one of our students from France has gone out and done a MOOC in French, and we've been hoping um, for uh, MOOCs in other languages from other uh, colleagues and so on. And what amazes us, So the other part of it is that you try to set it up in such a way so that there's a lot of guest speakers or there's a lot of material, and it plays out very leisurely and lots of contact from student to student and student to faculty. So we've always... Try to do that and what makes us different from a lot of adult education courses as well besides being free is um that we have one speaker per day and that person is scheduled for 90 minutes if they want and if they and the students want to keep talking it's just okay with us <laughs> we just keep going <laughs> So it, it's an unusual opportunity to have contact with somebody who's actually doing the research. And we have some researchers who come back as students um, as well, although not as many as we, we hope for. But every year there's more and more people from different places. Like the first year, I was so shocked the day that uh, somebody from Finland signed up for the course. And I said to Carlos, oh, my God, we have somebody from Finland. And the following day we had 45 people from from Finland and by the time That's the course wonderful. was over we had 150 people from Finland and That's it turned wonderful. out that there was a guy with a blog on parapsychology who had joined the course early and was telling them about the course so we've had students from from India, from uh, you know, from Africa, from Australia, from Canada, from Alaska all over South America, all over Europe, Eastern Europe we have one student who's a professor in Moscow who comes every year um and then people from the United States and so on so it's it's the first one had I think 93 countries were represented among the students so it 's um, it 's massively open in that way too that if you 're interested and you want to join in you can do it and if you your computer can manage the webinar system, which um, we have a system that 's not too taxing then then you can participate and it 's made friendships across um, across all these different people, and we even have one couple in our first in our first. Mook, um, a woman who lived upstate New York, met one of the Finnish guys from uh, North, Northern Finland, and they're engaged <laughs> now. And, and, and uh, they're in our uh, discussion forum that we hold in the virtual world, Second Life, uh, because they, that's one of the ways that they meet each other when they're not visiting each other because they haven't they haven't figured out where they're moving yet with all the immigration stuff that happens in both countries. But
2: that's so we awesome. were so
1: that was exciting too. Somebody that is. That. Yeah. That really so is. It's a Jeez. very exciting thing, and we'll be doing it again next year. And now it's a, a primary part of what we do for the Parapsychology Foundation, and slowly we're getting all the recordings up onto playlists in, on the Parapsychology Foundation YouTube channel. So we not only are bringing people, contact the people doing the research, you can see them in action, talking about what they're doing, why they're excited, and all that kind of stuff, and they're doing it absolutely for free. They're giving us all that time and all that effort just for free themselves. We've been so gratified. Carlos has been able to put a really great group of people together as our guest speakers. Um, so it gives people a look into the actual research that's been going on, and We've found that folks who have tripped over our course you know didn't weren't in a class already or didn't know people at the Rhine or didn't know people at University of Northampton, which is a big training center in the u k they just saw it someplace they tend to say to us, "Oh my God, I had no idea there were so many scientists and scholars." Really doing work on all of these things from mediumship to clairvoyance to telepathy to apparitions to um, distant healing. You know, we try to have it as broadly based as possible. So it's been a wonderful, wonderful thing to do. I must say, <laughs> Carlton, I love it. We get we get a new education every year right here in our house.
0: <laughs> I can tell that you're you're very passionate about that, Nancy. When you talk about it, it just you just spill over with the passion and the love. I love yeah. that. So uh, if people want to call in, they can. And this would be the time if anybody wants to call in. And uh, I have some other questions, but I don't know if there's anybody out there and some other truth seekers out there that might want to call in. If not, we'll just go on with some other questions I have too. Okay. So far I don't see any, so I'll go on with something else. So that's a big project that you're actually working on uh, right now.
1: Yeah. That's good. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we we have we have that, and uh, Carlos has a blog that he writes for. He, he does a new post almost every week, um, sometimes twice a week, called Parapsychology News History. Is it news? news I'm oh, good. I got it right. <laughs> news history and okay. research. Um, and um, uh, that's uh, he brings out and he does interviews with people in the field and he talks about the history of the field and then he'll um, do a particular topic or some new research article that's out there. He did an interview with Lisa Coley at one point, so he mm-hmm. does that. Um, and then he also works uh, with the, uh, un- the Society for Psychical Research. Uh, their encyclopedia, which uh, you might find interesting for him to talk about, and then we also—I'm um, uh, also working with the foundation on all of the uploading of all this old film and new film—and so I spend a lot of time editing uh, videos and that kind of thing as well. So it's a very—it's a very interesting kind of way to do things. Um, but let me have him tell you a little bit about the SPR project.
0: Well, well, hold on one second because we have a caller, so we'll see what they want to say and then he can talk about it. Okay. Hold on one second. Hi, welcome. Could you give us your name, please? Uh, My name's Sue. Hi, Sue. Go ahead. Yeah, I... I have a question for them. I I was wondering, I know that they've been doing a lot of, like, brain research studies, say, with the monks and meditation and how meditation can affect the brain and, and change the brain. I was wondering if parapsychology was heading in that direction. I know it's an expensive type of research, but I wonder if they could tell us anything about that.
1: Well, we personally don't do that type of research because we don't have a laboratory, but the Institute of Noetic Sciences is very interested in the effects of meditation on um, all kinds of things, but especially... How meditators uh, experience psychic phenomena and h- what they 're able to do with that they 've also done some physics experiments that are very esoteric and i don 't understand them completely, but they use meditators <laughs> to do that because meditators have such such um, control over what they can do mentally um, and such a ability to afo- focus and be absorbed in something and to and to grasp some of the concepts of being able to kind of Push themselves out into the world and become t- entangled with other processes. So ions is a, is doing is very active in that, and they have a, a couple of researchers in the laboratory where Dean Radin works that are um, specialists in meditation research, and then a a young man by the name of Arnaud Delorme who's a neuroscientist from France who's also working with them and Julia Mossbridge a neuroscientist who used to be at the Northwestern University in Chicago is also working with them. So that's a big area. There has been some interest at in the Division Division of Perceptual Studies at UVA in meditators but not a significant sustained program, but definitely people are Quite aware in the field of parapsychology of how important neuroscience is and how important people with um, these kinds of uh, um, long term trainings in meditation can be very important to understanding how the brain works and how the how all of these experiences might be happening so that's that's a place to look and ions recently actually uh restarted their YouTube channel with some really great Lectures that were given by some of these researchers in a course that they had recently, as well as some wonderful interviews with the different individuals who are researchers and also working as um, participants and so on in research at Ions. So it's a good idea to look for the IONS channel on on YouTube because there's lots of great stuff there.
0: All right. Thanks. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. Okay. Um, do, you, do you want to bring Carlos back to what he was talking about? I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, I will. Sure. Yeah.
0: So Thank you.
2: Encycl- yes. What? Well, let's see. What? Well. Oh, S P R Encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. You, anyone that is in listening to you may be interested in this project that is uh, sponsored by the Society for Psychical Research okay. from London. It's basically. Uh, a free online encyclopedia of psychic phenomena, parapsychology in general, and it's a you know it's still being developed. They they're hoping to end with thousands of entries. But basically, it's a place that you can go in and search like in any encyclopedia for information. You search on people's names. You know you can go and put Eileen Garrett or you can go in and put telepathy or all all kinds of things related to to the history of the field, to current developments, to phenomena, to theories. And uh, the project is still going on and, and and growing. They have several hundred entries I think right now, but they're expecting to have many more. Anyone that is interested in finding it, they just have to you just go to Google or any other search engine and just type Psy encyclopedia, Psi encyclopedia, P S I. Psy Encyclopedia. And when it comes out you'll see that it's associated with the Society for Psychic Research. You just click in and start looking for information. It's a very interesting project that that really is also very helpful to people that are doing projects in school, you know, that are looking for information. But also for anyone that wants to find information about the field. And it's free.
0: Uh, thank you, Carlos. I I had a question from somebody today that was in church, and they wanted to know if you do any type of research or studies where animals are involved.
2: Yes, we do, we do not deal with animals, you know, Nancy and I. Okay. Excuse me, but other people uh, do. That's an area that not much is is ra- happening right now. In the UK, uh, Rupert Sheldrake has done, and I believe is still doing work with animals, you know, with the telepathy, with, with animals, animals such as dogs and others, and uh, but that, that has never been a really big area. I don't know uh, for what reason, but certainly there there is a history of work like that, and a lot of people believe that, yes, that animals can show psychic experiences. It's very difficult to have experiments with animals, because, you know, for the obvious reason you cannot explain to, to an animal who, how to perform, what to do in a study, but there are all, all kinds of experiences that people uh, have had uh, with animals that that they believe, you know, may show uh, psychic abilities. It's just one of, one of those areas of parapsychology that needs to be explored much more. Well,
0: thank you. And now that... I know a lot of our listeners go on to Facebook and I saw that uh, Nancy put up something that you did a study of experiences by nurses that was on there yesterday. I saw.
2: Oh, yes. That's, experiences. Uh, that became... Can
0: you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, well, that came basically from my blog. That's not a study that we're doing. In my blog, oh. you know, I use the blog to inform people about studies that happen all around the world. And this okay. was just a, a news item that I, of a study that took place in Argentina of two people that were collecting experiences from nurses. And they found out that, as other people have found out in this country and as well as in, in, in the U.K., that many nurses... during their practice, you know, they encounter a lot of phenomena like precognitive dreams or things related to death of the the patients that are about to die and the like. But but this was not a project of ours. This was just a summary of of someone else's.
0: I wonder, yeah, I saw that on there. I just wanted you to talk a little bit about that. And um, I saw what would you consider to be a mystical experience?
2: A mystical experience? Well, a mystical experience uh, is generally considered to be this, this experience in which a person, during prayer, meditation, or in any other state, they have this kind of sense of oneness with the universe. You know, all of a sudden they feel that that everything that surrounds them, nature, people, everything, is part of them. And they are part of the whole, and they believe that that it is something extremely immense, very positive, and that's it, the typical uh, mystical uh, experience. Uh, other people use mystical in, in different ways, you know, but in, in the religious uh, literature, as well as in in the literature of people that study mystical experience, the, the main emphasis is on this uh, experience of expansion and uh, oneness and a lot of people have done studies of you know, these experiences they really are you know are experienced by a lot of people all around just like like people that have esp and many other things all these phenomena happen all around and they, especially the mystical ones as well as things as like near death experiences they have a lot of influence on on people, that means after you have a mystical experience, they people tend to change. They 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 become, you know, more open to to spiritual issues, and they they start thinking in different ways, change their life, they become less materialistic, and so forth. And uh, that's one of the reasons, you know, why people find them for so interested in for research. But also because you know they they also tend to support the very old ideas about you know our place in the universe that that consciousness as many people say is is all around us so, you know that the universe is conscious and when we have this short glimpses uh, it's a moment where we realize a different level of reality and for, for that reason you know a lot of people find them theoretically very very interesting
0: thank you Carlos. So we have another caller on the line right. hi welcome to the show can you tell us your first name please
2: hi my name is amy hi amy go ahead ask away Hello. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Um, I hope that I didn't
1: miss the information, but is there a, like a, like a waiting list to do your classes? Um, I'm aware that you do the parapsychology classes in January and February. Um, I'm very interested in that and expanding my knowledge um, because I do a lot of work in the paranormal field.
2: um, And I like to have a wide array of, information at my fingertips for the people that I work with. Yes, well we don't have a, a waiting list uh, uh, as such but you know you you can join at at any moment. Like right now you can just go in and join, but also we put online a lot of different news all around when advertising, you know, when the new course uh, is going to start. A lot of these things go for a long time because even if you don't get into real time where people are presenting, you know their their ideas, there are recordings of each presentation that eventually will all appear in YouTube. So you can you can okay. have access to them.
1: You can find a link on the Foundation okay, beautiful. Yeah. Is there a, a link for that, or
2: a website well, that you, I would follow? You can go to the, you can go to the Parapsychology Foundation YouTube channel and you'll find mm-hmm. information there. You look on their MOOC and, uh, and there you will find uh, that information. But, but you know, the, the advertisement appears in many places. It appears in my blog. It appears in the Facebook page of okay. of the Parapsychology Foundation, of the Society for Psychical Research in London. It's a, you just have to type uh, paramook. Okay. And uh you, you should be able uh, to 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 find it. Okay. Yeah, Nancy's okay. telling me that there is also a Facebook book, uh page for students okay. in, in Paris.
1: Okay. Beautiful. All right, thank <laughs> you so much. I'm feeding him information.
0: Um uh, fill I'll, that out for her. Is it yeah, if you're on
1: if you're on Facebook there is a closed group and we let everybody in, but it's P A R A M-O-O-C and that's paramook and that's uh, the Facebook page for the course and it's got okay. information about the current course you can also find the original announcement of the course on PF News on parapsychology.org so that's P-A-R-A-P-S-Y-C-H-O-L-O-G-Y dot O-R-G and that's the Parapsychology Foundation page. And when you get on their home page, you'll see on the navigation bar that there's a page called PF News. And if you click there, we haven't put a whole lot of stuff there, so it's only a couple of entries ago that you'll see the original um, announcement of the course with the, with the course link to get to the course. And the course started on January, but it doesn't close until August, third, uh, okay. August 31st of, of this year also on the parapsychology foundation youtube video youtube channel just search for parapsychology foundation in the youtube search bar there's a playlist called paramook and it will have um it will have uh the the original uh video about this year as well as the uh, lectures from past years that we've gotten up there and we're we're slowly but surely getting all of the lectures up there as well so, and you can also drop me a uh, drop me an email um on the uh you know you can you can write write use the contact form on on the parapsychology dot org website um okay. and get in touch with me and I will send you my email so that I can help you get into the course and all that stuff and it's absolutely Beautiful. free and open yeah. Oh I love so, it. Sounds like lots to keep me busy, so thank you. Oh, good. <laughs> Great. It's good, Amy. It's gonna be
0: free, so just tell people you know All right, the
1: richness,
0: All right I will. That's good. And you'll be with thank the you. best when you be with them.
1: <laughs> You're <laughs> well, welcome. Thank how, you. Thank it's you. That's true. That's how we feel that's how we feel about the speakers, the guest speakers. Is we're amazed well, that's at right. how many people say yes and you know people from England and from Dean Raden did one for us we had Julia Mossbridge this year we had Dick Beerman from the University of Amsterdam last year we have um all kinds of people it's just it's just astonishing who says yes and they they make these amazing pre- presentations we've had a number on on mediumship so uh, there's lots of interesting stuff all right well thank you very much here now. <laughs>
0: You guys have a good Thank night. Thank you for Thank calling in. Thank you, Amy. You're welcome. Um, we got about four minutes, and somebody just asked me to t- have you talk about out-of-body experiences.
1: Ah, let me uh, let me give you back to Carlos because that's okay. been his specialty all the way along to talk about okay. out-of-body.
2: We only have four minutes. Yeah, well, we, minutes. Have done a, okay, we have done a few studies of out-of-body experiences, uh, basically, we, we one of the things that we have found is that they are fairly common. You know, we're talking about maybe about 10% of of the whole population, maybe a little less than 10%, but 10%, if you project it to, say, the population of the United States, it's a lot of people. So a lot of people are having these experiences of floating, uh, leaving their bodies, and on some occasions, going to different places, either visiting the house of relatives or going to what they think are different dimensions and so forth, it's a very rich experience. You know, you have all kinds of perceptions of people, of lights, of bodily sensations. It's a it's a fascinating experience. The the one of the main questions when you do research, is what is happening there, you know. Some people say that it's all in the imagination, that you're really not leaving your body. Other, others believe that, yeah, there is some, something leaving the body. And uh, that that question, you know, has we have not been able to resolve scientifically. A lot of the big questions uh, science really cannot touch uh, directly. But we have been able to find that in some experiences there are different physiological changes when people are out of the body. There's not a lot of information about that because to do that we have to bring people into the laboratory to measure them. Most of the modern studies that have been done are surveys. That means, you know, Questionnaires are given to college students or in different communities, and you try to get several hundreds or much more if you can, but you need uh, big money to be able to do that kind of thing. And then compile information about what are the characteristics of these experiences and the characteristics of the people that have had them. In general, psychologically speaking, we have found that people that have a mental openness you know they're open to new ideas to the to alter states of consciousness and things of that sort those people tend to have more out of body experiences uh people that are more of close minds and uh, and have very set beliefs and they like
0: Thank you, Carlos. I didn't mean to cut you off, but we're going to be getting off here, so that concludes our sure. show for tonight. I want to thank you and Nancy for coming. You're thank you very much.
2: Our uh, next our pleasure guest, here.
0: Thank you very much. Our next guest next month on April sixteenth will be Dr. Anne uh, Francis Ellis. The topic will be near death experiences. I want to thank all the truth seekers for listening tonight. Till we meet again, may you be the light that helps others see. Good night. That was right down to the wire.